From the shores of Summer Lake in Tigard, Oregon, it's the Portland Tim Beers Podcast, a show featuring two guys who love craft beer and Portland Timbers soccer. And now, here are your hosts, Jason and Gary. Tim Beers, I'm Jason. And I'm Gary. We're the uh, Portland Tim Beers. We talk about soccer, beer, and pretty much whatever else we want. What are you You're making a face, dude. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, that first beer I just tasted. <laughs> Tastes like somebody dropped a Jolly Rancher into my beer. <laughs> Is it sweet? Yeah, like a sweet peach Jolly Rancher. <laughs> what if they did? <laughs> That's fucked up, dude. I think it's a roofie. Well, I guess I'm not going home tonight. <laughs> well, uh, beer one by Fearless. It is the Peaches and Cream Ale. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah, there you go. What yeah, it literally tastes like, like um, take just the cleanest, most neutral beer you've ever tasted, drop a peach Jolly Rancher in it, bam, there you go. I would concur. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's it, crazy. And it still holds its cleanliness. It's yeah, still clean. And it's then... still clean. There's no, like, nasty aftertaste or anything else. It's kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah, very golden, lots of little tiny bubbles in it, and... Yeah peaches and cream definitely peaches and cream yeah. yeah it kind of tastes like that oatmeal peaches and cream it's got that kind of uh taste to it not oatmeal like i don't taste that in the beer but the oatmeal that's peaches and cream oatmeal yeah i know exactly yeah. what you're talking about yeah. yeah well how's life buddy that's pretty good pretty good. good good for the most part well here we are uh second episode in 2022 Ooh. We're off to a good start, dude. Yeah. <laughs> We've made it. Yeah, well, if we can spin another couple out, we beat last year's total. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, I hear uh, everything's going back to normal. From normal from what? From COVID. Like, so that means we got to start <laughs> we got to start doing 5, 6 episodes a month. There you go. Yeah, yeah back so. to the one every 6 days. That's right. Just <laughs> pounding them out, baby. So all right. Well, um, good, good show going on. This is part of our Legacy Series. So uh, we yes. are going to do uh, the Art Lawrence interview. So it's a wonderful interview where we had the chance to sit down with Art. Um, I have not listened to the sound quality. I have not done anything. We're just going to roll. This We're is just going to run it. This is going to be Tim Beer's Raw. This is raw. So this is, uh, yeah, sitting at a Sherry's. Well, I'll, I'll break it out some in a few minutes. So. <laughs> um. What else we got? So, beer news. We're going to do a little beer news, and we're mm. going to do a little beer Kickstarter. So, I yeah. found a couple things that we can... Interesting stuff tonight. Jam on. So, uh, what else? Trying to think. You got anything else, buddy, going? Nah, just a failure in the uh, fermenter, that's all. Yeah, we'll have to play, uh, figure out what, what's going on with uh, Jason and Gary's fermenters, because we yes. both had issues. So, <laughs> both we'll them. talk about uh, the importance of heat, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and then try to troubleshoot what you got going. Yeah. So. Good. All right. Well, uh, Art Lawrence. So uh, last year, you and I, part of our goals for last year were to do legacy se- legacy series type interviews with mm-hmm. uh, kind of the beer greats of Oregon and Washington. Yes. And um, and really start recording some history that's there. Um, we know others have done this in their books. We know others have done this just in general. Yeah. Um, but uh, we thought we'd like head off the beaten path and do some different stuff. So we had the chance to sit with uh, our, our friend over at Hair of the Dog. Yes. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Art Lawrence. Uh, we've talked with Art over the years, many years, and uh, we thought it was important to sit down with him and really formally put on 
the recording, uh, kind of his history and and how he has changed beer within Oregon. So right, and and what I think is kind of cool about the way we're doing it uh, compared to the guys that that have came before and have done it in the books and told the stories in the books is this way you actually get to hear the voice of the person that created that history. Yeah, I agree, and I think that just lends a little bit more to it. Yeah, I think I think it's good, and then uh, of course there's some slip ups always where oh yeah we head down a rabbit path and um, probably find stuff out that we shouldn't have or oh yeah absolutely we love that colors it so um, so yeah huge thanks to Alan on the first uh, first set here and uh, this one was with Art so yes I reached out to Art um, early in 2021 mm-hmm. and said hey so what do you think We're, Gary and I want to do this and he right off the bat said yeah let's do this. Um, and then we texted back and forth in like April, May, and uh, couldn't put it together with travel schedules. June, I'm texting him from my deck in Sun River and said, let's do this. Um, still couldn't put it together. Nope. Fast forward several months, and uh, I said, hey, one December day, what do you think about doing this? He's like, let's do it. Where do you want to meet? I said, I'm open to wherever you are. He's like, well, let's go to Sherry's. So there we went. There we Sherry's. Went. We had Sherry's, and I believe I had a piece of coconut cream pie. Yeah. You, uh, what did you do? I had chocolate cream yeah, pie. Yeah, you had chocolate cream pie, yeah. a cup of coffee. It was good. And uh, Art had, I think, an omelet. Full on breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I never thought I'd be doing a beer episode where we uh, <laughs> interview one of the legends, and uh, we're doing it. So apologize for the sound up front. We are recording in a restaurant during the interview. Like yes. I said, uh um, sound quality might be a little bit suspect. There will be a part two to this eventually. Yes. Uh, as, after the interview uh, concluded, we all agreed that we would come back and revisit this and uh, and do that. So I'm just hoping it, it doesn't take as long to put together as part one. Oh, it definitely will not. So, All right, buddy. Let's listen to this uh, interview, Legacy Series, with Art Lawrence. All right. Jason from the Timbeers here. So... We are uh, on to interview two of our Oregon Brewers Legacy Series, and uh, we've been hyping this up for quite some time. I think, Art, we've been trying to get together since uh, June, I think is when we talked, and I was in uh, Sun River, and we're like, all right, let's do this, and and here we are now, it's December. (laughs) So, Art Lawrence, thanks, man. Good to see you again, Jason. Let's go, uh, let's talk about beer, and let's talk about beer. Yeah, well, let's do this. So, um... You are the name, if I were to put a Mount Rushmore together, you are the name and face that would be on uh, the Mount Rushmore of Oregon beer. And so, um, and, and I don't say that lightly at all. Um, if you go around and you talk to people or you read about Oregon beer, they're like, Art, go talk to Art, Art, Art. So, um, how did you get involved in beer? How, how did it all start? started with my dad. Okay. I can remember him drinking Olympia beer. And he'd save the last little bit for me. I don't know, three, four, five years old. <laughs> it seemed so bitter to me. I thought, oh, I didn't think it was. It was a mild beer, but as I recall, Olympia. So this would have been in like 1948, 49. Yeah. It was a fairly hoppy beer. Nice, nice beer. And Dad was a cabinet maker, and he was a guy that nobody was good enough to work for. He was an Eagle Scout, just like me, and I I wanted to emulate my dad. And, and um, so he 
we, I grew up on a piece of property on the 209th and Kinnaman Road out in Reedville, Aloha area, and my great-great-grandfather had bought the property in 1906, and he was foreman of what they call now, what we call South Hillsboro right now. Okay. All the property west of 209th and east of 229th and south of TV Highway, it's the 500-acre. We called it the Ladin Reed Farm as kids. Yeah. But my great-great-grandpa Swally was foreman of that, and he bought some property from the Ladin Reed Farm on the east side of what we call 209th right now, and it was 16 acres, and that's what I grew up on. So that's all going under a huge development right now. I mean, that's like one of Oregon's largest developments happening right now. Yeah. It's my stomping grounds. We talked about that. Um, so Hill High graduate. So you went to Hill High. You not only went to Hill High, but you owned Hill High in that you played baseball, won a state championship with Hill High? Well, we got rained out for the state championship. Okay. And I got um, 50 years afterwards. That was in 1962 and 2012. I, in 2011, I went to the OSAA, or the school activities, and said, hey, uh, 49 years ago, 50 years coming up next year, the state playoffs and baseball got canceled, and Peter Weber, who's in charge of it now, went, no way. I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what do you want me to do? I said, well, can you introduce us, and I want to go get the other six teams. At that time, there were three levels, right. A1, A2, A3. Hillsborough, we were supposed to play South Eugene, and there were two other games that were supposed. To, one was supposed to start at ten, one was supposed to start like at two, and we were supposed to play like at six in the stadium. Well, they didn't put the tarp down on the stadium. <clears throat> OSA would spend fifty dollars, and so the game got rained out, never played. So we had an, I got a reunion together, and we got introduced before the state championship game in 2012. So it was fun to go get <clears throat> together. With guys that we'd never met. Right. I mean, one of my friends played for South Eugene, so he was a contact, and I ended up going and getting, finding, I had a program. Somehow I got a little multi-lift purple kind of thing that we used to do to make copies, and it had, I had the program, everybody's name, so I had some names to work with, and North Catholic, I knew a friend there, and another friend from South Eugene, another guy knew a guy from Coburg, and I was down to Condon. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so I took the first guy on the list and looked up in Condon, and there's, like, to see his family name still around Condon. So I kind of Googled the guy's name, and he was an attorney in Albany. So I called him and said, hey, I'm putting this together. You want to be the contact person? Yeah, yeah, I will. I said, okay, I'll check back with you in a month. A couple weeks later, I get a call from Peter Weber and say, hey, there's some guys from Condon that I want to do the same thing that you're doing. I, oh, let me talk to him. So I told him, well, I talked to this, the, the attorney guy. said, that guy won't ever do anything. We'll take care of it. <laughs> which, they, which they did. So did you guys actually play? Play the game? Did you play a game at all? Or just got the guys together? Just got and the guys together. That's got, unbelievable. I got a front page Oregonian article out of it. That is fantastic. Front page. I went to pick up the paper one Sunday morning. I'm on the front page of the paper. Well, that's not your first time being on the front page. but so, so then you go to Linfield. Then I went to Linfield to play baseball. Won a national title. Oregon's first national title in baseball. Is that right? Well, it was Linfield's first national championship in any sport. And I, I don't know. Maybe it was the first of any kind of... Well, you won it before yeah. Oregon State. You won your yeah, championship. Yeah, we won it in 66. <laughs> right. We were... 
Yeah, and I was fortunate to play on that team. We had a great group of guys. Um, baseball players can be unique personalities, and we had ours. Yeah. But everybody had fun. We still get together. We've lost two players off our team. Mm. Uh, one of the players just lives down the street here, not very far away, Stu Young, who was the MVP of the tournament. Wow. And you were catcher? I was a catcher. There were three of us that were catchers. Okay. Uh, my junior year, I made honorable mention all-conference. My senior year, I hurt my arm a little bit and missed the first month because I was doing a senior internship project at Esco Corporation that I ended up getting a job off of. <laughs> But in 1966, Vietnam was hot and heavy. Okay. We played baseball until June the 7th. All of our deferments, all of us guys, ran out on May 15th when we were graduated. So we were all sitting there 1A. I mean, this was before everybody was number one. Yeah. There was no, no lottery. One. Everybody was number one. <laughs> so did you, go, did you go into the war? I joined uh, Forest Grove National Guard. Got, got trained in the infantry and then came back and transferred to an Army Reserve unit over here. And, and on Mumble Boulevard, they got turned into a yep. homeless shelter. And I spent uh, five, year, five and a half years in the Army Reserve and got a commission to be an officer and did my six years. Um, at that time, I had started selling commercial real estate. I'm just going there. I quit my job at ESCO. And I went from making 500 a month to 4,000 a month in 1969. Okay. And then I started my own real estate brokerage. I worked for another guy for 16 months and then petitioned to the real estate agency to go be able to be my own broker. And then I went out to Beaverton. And I sold apartment houses and land for apartments. Mm. And then uh, partnered up with a buddy of mine and we started building houses, duplexes and threeplexes until 1980 when the interest rates went to 20%. Mm. Yeah. And we owned 100 lots. We had to punt on stuff. I was going to say. We owned oceanfront property in Rockaway we had to sell. We owned two acres in Seaside. Now where the Safeway is and McDonald's yeah. and stuff, we had to punt on that stuff. We kept our beach house that I still have, but, and it kind of just scared the tar out of me because to play the real estate game, you got to be capitalized because yeah. it's, it's peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, and the astute investors buy when the price is down, kind of thing. I mean, hold, 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 hold. And, um, but for a twenty-something-year-old kid, right? Yeah, I was twenty-five. Yeah, and that's tough, right? I mean, you're you're in the business, you're doing your thing. Yeah. You're convincing forty, fifty, sixty-year-olds to come buy property as a twenty-year-old, right? Or and, a twenty-five-year-old. I was selling. Yeah. I divided by R equals V, which is a capitalization rate, the valuation of how you sell property. Yeah. And, that kind of thing. and they still that's still what's done. I divide. I uh, divide by R equals V. <laughs> so so you're sitting uh, somewhere along the line. You're at the Mac Club. And well, rounded, before that, yeah. I started um, Fred Bowman and Jim Goodwin, who we were all classmates at Hill High. And Jim Goodwin has passed away. Bowman went to Hill High, too? Fred yeah. Bowman? Oh, yeah, oh, we were all in okay. the same class at okay. Hill High. We liked beer, sports cars, Dixieland jazz, yeah. music, baseball. And, <laughs> and Jim Goodwin played in the band with Fred. And Jim was the first baseman on our baseball team, and he's one of the best first basemen I ever played with. Really? Wow. And he was a trumpet player and could not read music. All by Just memory. Just by ear and memory, huh? And he was our third partner when we started Portland Brewing, and uh, you will see him in all the early documents. Huh. 
And he he was Jim played in Europe for a number of years. He was fairly well known in the Netherlands and Germany, playing with Dixieland Jazz over there. He's a trumpet player, and I've got recordings of him and stuff. And he came back and and he wanted to be with us. And he said, you know. You guys said, I'll just go, and we had a little bandstand that we played, and he played music there. But before that, when Fred and Jim were doing some home brewing, okay. and I had a friend of mine who just passed away, Essa Patikowski, that I played, worked with at Esco and played softball with, and he lived just six blocks away from me over here off Hamilton Street, and he was home brewing with his brother. And I, I was drinking the beer. Can I come and help? Yeah, we need somebody to wash the bottles. We need somebody to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so started, um, and we were just doing extracts okay. at that time. And Fred and Jim started getting into Steinbart's and having them grind some mash and doing some mashing and whatnot. And we were sitting in 1984. We were over at Fred's house. Drinking our brew, six Fred's brew from six weeks before, doing one, and drinking our lunch, and oh by golly, if they can have one of these in Seattle and in Yakima, at Burt Grant, let's let's do one in Portland. Okay, let's call it Portland Brewing. Oh, okay. So I said I'll call Burt Grant on Monday, and we made an appointment and drove up to Yakima the next Saturday. Right. And we took our checkbooks with us and. We ended up getting a consulting agreement with Bert Grant, giving him $1,500 down on a down payment on a consulting agreement. Cause and what did that even mean? So you're like, hey, Bert, we want you to consult. What Was was he providing technical expertise? Yeah, yeah, and his yeast and And his yeast, right, okay. Whatnot. And after we got that first agreement, he said, how would you like to make my beer under license in Oregon? Because he was shipping his Grant's Ale. And so we said, yeah, so we put a second agreement together. We paid him a consulting fee and a royalty, and then with his, for three years, then the royalty on top of it for his products. So we went to making, and Fred was a great brewer, making his stout, his winter ale, mm -hmm. and his Scottish, Scottish ale. Yep. And there were conversations about who made the best Scottish ale, Fred or Bert. Or Bert, yeah. yeah. I, well, I'm Bert, Bert lit... I mean, you know, again, kind of the story and how it played out, but people know Burt Grant. I mean, that story is told over and over and over. Um, who, who had the better uh, Scotch Ale? I'm partial to Fred. Yes, Fred. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, so we, I said, Fred, let's, we want to build a brewery. And we got together. We found out that there were these two brothers named the Woodworths. <laughs> we do. We knew Dick and Nancy Ponzi. Okay. Because I, I belonged to the Multnomah Club, and I'd go up on a ski bus, Ladies' Day ski bus, and so was Dick Ponzi going, and Nancy was there, and we'd get talking and everything. And, um, then these met the two other guys, the McMinniman brothers, and they were bringing Red Hook into town and some other beers. And then we all, so four of us got together, and okay, um, I think we met, our first meeting was down at McMinimum's Tavern and Pool, and um, 
Same one off of 23rd? Yeah. Okay. 23rd. Yeah. And I said, uh, well, I, we need to go to go to legislature. And you've read that part of the story about the back club and me being Yeah, that, and that's kind of where I was going is that you and Tom are sitting in the shower. We're right? standing in the shower with Mac. Tom, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. I want to get some legislation for breweries. What? <laughs> and, uh, was he, and so was he open to it? Yeah, oh, heck yes. Okay. And and so when we all got together and got our bill formulated, it went through the house, zing through it. And I remember the first time that we went for a hearing, the only person that were opposing us was the beer distributors, the people well, that we course. were going to sell to. Right. And I went, holy smokes, because we had gone and tried to meet with these beer distributors and they're all sitting around a table doing this. Because <laughs> part of the, the two parts of the legislation, the one that the Kurt and Rob wanted was to do their own delivery. Right. The rest of us wanted to brew beer and sell it on our premise and not have to go through a distributor. So Kurt and Rob were the early ones that wanted to distribute and get into that game. Everybody else is like, we just want tap houses and, and yeah. take the handle prices and all that. Okay. Correct. Sell to a distributor. Yeah. And sell to ourselves without going to a distributor. Interesting. So you go, you go to the legislature, and you go and there's a committee and there's ten of them on it or something like that. One of the local writers at the time had gone and determined that eight out of the ten legislators were on the payroll of the peer distributors. You know, they all have their hand out. Right, right. All these guys were getting contributions. We didn't do that, and we, and it was with Kurt and with Dick Ponzi's encouragement. Don't get started with that. Don't get started with them. So there were two. So it sounds way. like there were two camps. One was saying, "Hey, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to pay something in order to make this happen," and then another camp. No, we were all together. Okay. You guys were all together. Okay. Yeah. No. See, Dick. Dick was real familiar with the process because he'd gone through it with wine. So wine went through before in the yeah. 70s, late 70s, right? Yeah. So, okay. Interesting. Dick said, we got to have tasting rooms. we got to have tasting rooms. Um, no, no, we all worked. We were novices. We'd all get in the car together, two cars, and go down. Dick said, if we get there at 7.15 in the morning, um, Vera Katz, who was in charge of the house, was a meter. Because she likes to go for a walk, and she changes her shoes from 7.25 to 7.30 in her lobby. <laughs> Some kind of goofy story like that. And maybe there's a chance that we could talk to her while she's changing her shoes. This totally or sounds seven. like guys getting together saying, hey, I got this idea. <laughs> but did it happen that way? Yeah. yeah. So we go down and we get to talk to her. We tried to talk to Kip Sopper, and he wouldn't even give us the time of day. Really? He the first date with Kip Sopper. Was he, was he, he was with the distributors? Oh, okay. And later become governor. Right, I know I know who he is, but was he with the distributors at that point? Was he one of the ones? No. Probably. Yeah. So by that time the distributors they they had, they weren't afraid of us. They would found out we we're gonna be another market and that, you know, after we go through the house. We get to the Senate. We get our bill gets gutted at the Senate by LBA and Glenn Otto. Two big Democrats. Two big, big names. Big union guy names. They got buildings named after yeah. them. As far as I'm concerned, they, they got buildings and amphitheaters, all sorts of stuff, right? Well, I, mean. I think they're crooks. <laughs> yeah, right. So, they took our bill and gutted, and it, gutted it out. And jammed their own thing into it, right? 
And if it wasn't for a Southern Oregon legislator who was doing a bed and breakfast bill where they wanted to have beer and wine at bed and breakfast that our bill tagged on to, that had already been approved in the Senate, just had to come back to the House where we had a good name, yeah. boom, we got tagged on there and the bill went through the next to last day of the session by the hair on our chinny chin chin. And that's how close wow. it was to not happening. Wow, unbelievable. Huh. So, so that goes through. Next day, you guys are like, we're all in business. Because you incorporated in 83, the year before, yeah. right? Yeah, I guess it was 83, we went up to see Burke Ramp when we incorporated Portland Brewing. Yeah. And the Ponzi's wanted to call it that, too, and I said, no, we want to get to the name. <laughs> did that cause any rift, or they're like, all right, we'll call it Bridgeport? Went, you did? <laughs> yeah, we've already done it. God. Is Tom still we alive? We wanted that name. That's well, funny. we've already registered with the state. <laughs> yeah, which we had... And so, do you know what Bridgeport started with the original name of the brewery? No. Columbia River Brewing. Was it really? And their product was Bridgeport. If you're looking for old memorabilia, yeah. Ruiana from Bridgeport, and which there are, I I don't have them anymore. I had a mug, dimpled mug that said Bridgeport, Columbia River Brewing. I really? Had a, a coaster or two that said that. I passed them on to some other friends that are collectors yeah. that... I don't need this anymore. Any of the banners, the old banners, Brewfest banners, they say that? I wonder if some of those are... No, uh, by the time that came around, I think that had... They'd already switched out, yeah. So is Tom Mason still... Because Is Tom Mason still alive? Sure. Is he really? Where does he live? Like local or... No. Uh, I'd be interested to talk to Tom sometime. Do you talk to him at all? No, I haven't talked to him for a number of years. He... I'm not sure if this is correct. He was with the work for United Nations. Yeah. Really? Gotcha. Um, oh, and I'm, I'm not sure what the capacity was, but he was doing something no. with the United Nations. But maybe that maybe he's doing something else. He was living in California. Good guy. Right? He's a, he's a can-do person. Oh, yeah? Well, I mean, it sounds like the right guy to actually push that through. So, so... So all of it, so the legislation comes around. We were actually the last one. Portland Brewing was the last one to come online. Okay. I mean, you know the history of Hillsdale and Bridgeport starting out about two weeks apart. No. Hillsdale Brew Public Minimums up here in Yeah, Hillsdale. right up on top. And Bridgeport opened about two weeks later, and one calls them south the first brew pub and the first something out of there. And then, then Widmer came along, and we came along, and we had our first brew came out January 1586. We raised funds in 85. So when Portland Brewing came on, we had more fermentation than any any of the other fellas. But we were all close together, 14th and Flanders, right. 14th and Lovejoy, 13th and Marshall. And then the McMinimins were just up here on Hillsdale. Up yep. Here. But in those early days, it was like, hey, Kurt, can you guys be pale mall? We need a couple back. Yeah, come on down. <laughs> and the fun part, Fred or I would go down. The fun part is we had, everybody had a tap, two taps coming out of their cooler box with some glasses. Yeah. So you did. <laughs> of which their alt was my favorite. Really? Their alt. So it's funny, yeah, because I remember their alt in a bottle, which I'm sure is totally changed from when you originally had it, but 
some of those early McMenamin beers were my favorite. I mean, the original so Oct- this was the original Octo. Alt. I know one of the original Octos that the Woodmere had. Oh, and then they're all original Alt, but they don't make that stuff anymore. I mean, they get too big. And we'll go into there later about how big is too big, and at what point do you lose control of some of that quality, or do you? But um, it's interesting. So, so let's Bert Grant. So, what did he do for you? So, I mean, that's a big name, right? No longer with us. Gave us credibility. Gave you credibility right off the bat. Yeah, we had a product line. Boom, grand yeah. sale. We opened the door. We had twenty-two accounts. Wow. And we built it up to forty-four, and then Bert said, "I want to get my brand back." And so he did, and we changed the name six weeks later to McTarnahan's. Interesting. And so McTarnahan's, did that come from, because you had a McTarnahan that worked for you guys at Portland Brewing. Well, he didn't work. He, he was a major stockholder right. and ended up gaining control of the brewery. And then reverse stock split. And, right and then lost the control. Company. Right, exactly. So, so you leave about what time from Portland Brewing? I, they told, they fired me in November of uh, 95. Okay. Uh, 94. So, 94. so they went for common stock in 1993, and then in 94, you're like. Except we don't, we don't need you anymore, you know. <laughs> and so, you're, you're pissed, you're like, I founded this thing. Had Fred already left? No. He no. was still with them? He was there another five years or more, probably. Really? And did the brewery totally change with you gone and... I don't know. Probably. You know. You've heard the stories. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, I didn't hang around. Yeah. I went, went... I kind of retired, and then I kept driving by a piece of property that became the Raccoon Lodge. Right. I remember the day Raccoon Lodge opened up, and I remember... I don't remember a lot about the beer at that point because the focus almost seemed on the exterior. I mean, it was this beautiful log cabin theme upside. And then, like, 10 different varieties of potatoes, like, that you could fry up. And I remember, like, what the heck, a French fried Yukon Gold or whatever. And then I remember your beer was there. Uh, our beer was new. The equipment was new. Yeah. New, new. New recipe, Ron Gansberg's a great brewer, great engineer, couldn't have done it without him. But new to the West Side, right? There's not a lot of beer on the West Side. McMenamin's had some of their stuff there. Right. But you were really the the new guy that came into, the new old guy that came into the West Side, right? And so was that a tough tough thing to break into? Well, the tough thing was it took three years and ten months. So when I acquired an option on the property till I opened the doors. Wow. Three years and ten months. Money's going out, 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 out. And I was, I had promised myself that I would not do it with partners. It's just too tough. So you had sole control, working with Ron who was doing the brewing for you? Yeah, we helped build the building and design the building and when ground was broken on the building, we were he was under my employment. We had a construction shack in the back, and Rune Construction had their construction shack. Only wow. difference between the two was ours had beer in it. <laughs> Good beer. Good beer. <laughs> so, so Raccoon goes up. So Cascade Brewing 
Well, we kind of didn't. I wasn't publicizing the name Cascade Brewing at that time. We were okay. working under the name Raccoon Lodge. Okay. And actually, I clearly remember that because it was Raccoon Lodge, Raccoon Lodge, Raccoon Lodge. And then somebody's like, no, Cascade Brewing is the exact same thing. And they do the sour beer thing. And so at this point in time in history, everybody's doing what they call the hop wars, right? Everybody's trying to make the hoppiest beer. Uh, Bridgeport had that darn beer called Hop Czar, I think, that was some ungodly thing. Uh, <laughs> Sierra Nevada was doing their thing with, like, Bigfoot. And it was just, how, bo- how big could we get? Uh, and you're like, I have no interest in this. We're going to well, go a different direction. Uh, again, it started with Ron Gamper. If everybody's marching to the right, Ron's one of those that's going to go, what do we? What happens if we go to the left? Let's straight ahead. What if we do something different? I, I just, I love Ron. And he's just that creative energy person. And um, we, we kind of said, how can we expand and not borrow a lot of money? What can we do? Well... There's a lot of wine barrels. We're in wine country. You can buy wine barrels for 25 or 30 bucks a piece. What can you do with them? Well, we have a lot of fruit here. Oh. Oh, you can make something with fruit, brew it, and infect it with bacteria. <laughs> what? You're supposed to be pure and clean and... So, Ron got us started, and uh, we did some cherry, some blackberry, and he really kicked it off on the sour beers. We went, then we went to, to the Great American Beer Festival, took some bottles down there, and had people drink them, and said, who are you guys, where are you from? Next year we went and won a, third, got third place with our creek, the next year we went back and got first and second place wow. with two different beers, Vlad the Impaler was one of them. Yeah. Vlad the Impaler is like epic. Everybody knows about Vlad, so. Yeah. And then we've been shut out ever since. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of happens. So so let's just go time-wise here. So 93, you leave Portland Brewing. Or no, 93 was the common stock expansion. Yeah, 94, I left Portland. 94, you leave. 98, Portland folds. They go $3.5 million in debt. They do an exchange for stock. Uh there's all sorts of stuff happens. The, the Saxer mergers in that set on all that. Um, that was kind of the down, downfall of Saxer at that point, too, as soon as they merged, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Norwester, too. Yeah. They got Norwester. Yeah, and so let's talk about those. We called, those the, we three, called yeah. that Ron Gansker and called it Norbluster. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some great beers with those initial Saxer beers, right? Some of those are early Saxer beers that people remember. The lemon, was it the lemon lager? I was down watching spring training of baseball in Tampa, and we went to Ebor City, because there was a brewery in Ebor City. There was an old saloon called the Columbia Saloon. It was built like in the same time that Jake's Crawfish was in 1905 or 10 or something like that. Yeah. And I go down there and they have lemon lager bottles in Tampa. <laughs> Way down there. From from Saxer? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that so good beer. People down in Florida enjoyed it. Sounds like. Yeah, I tried some. It's okay. <laughs> I, mean, I just remember that's the one that sticks out, and they had some sort of berry beer at one point too. And I was just um, looking on online for Oregon Brewiana stuff, and there's some uh, coasters, lemon lager coasters are there for really? sale. <laughs> well, on so eBay. are there? So Saxer goes away. Norwester. What was Norwester known for? 
Well, they, they had that a nice kind of brewery good. over in Southeast, okay. and they they hired Bridgeport's Brewer to start it. Um, but th- those three come together, and then they disappear. Yeah. And then in 98, you build Raccoon Lodge. Raccoon Lodge is open in 98. So there's a long time there that you're like, I'm retired, I'm getting out of no, this game. No, it took me three years and ten months. I retired. I was only retired from like November, and I got an option on that property in February. Oh, wow. And so then it took me three years and ten months. To get that thing built and worked through. To and get it open. The last thing that had to be done was the elevator inspector, and that took two extra weeks. <laughs> Good old Washington County. Oh, so, yeah. well, no, it's state. Oh, state was it? Okay. Elevator inspector. So, 98, that hits. And then 2010, you and Ron opened Cascade Barrel House, along with uh, Preston. Is Preston still around? Not, he doesn't work there anymore. He doesn't work around, but is he still around the area doing yeah, his thing? Yeah, 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 sure he is. Yeah. And again, you guys do sour beers. Unlike anybody else, you kind of start the sour craze that's going on. What, so Ron's kind of the idea guy in that. Was that based upon Weiss beer? I mean, what was, like, did you guys have some sour beers from Belgium or? No, that's the unique thing about Ron. We didn't go buy a bunch of other people's sour beers. Really? You're like, we're not copying, we're just doing. He doesn't do it that well. He makes his own lactobacillus bacteria. He figures out how to do that. Unbelievable. Wow. No, we didn't go. We didn't go to to Belgium. We went to Belgium afterwards. And we took beer with us. And we took beer to the, the Belgium brewery, Cantillon. Yeah. And shared it with the owner. Um, and how was that? Oh, he's a great guy. Great guy. If you ever get a chance to go to Brussels, it's in an old, old, old building. And there's cobwebs, wood, and they've still got the, um, an old system with belts to do things and yeah. stuff. It's an old, old thing. It's, well, not, it's not a big production brewery. No, it's not. It's small, and, and their bottles go for top-notch. Yeah. Which is similar to what you guys were going. You're like, look, we don't need to go mass production, but we want to make a good bottle that people are willing to pay to. And there's another guy in town that was doing that same thing, right? Alan was doing that same thing with kind of big, strong, kind of English strong ales and doing bottle conditioning and trying not to mass produce. Yeah. So you guys are going one way. Kurt and Rob and Bridgeport and everybody else is going full sales, going the other way. See, not only did we say, what, how can we expand without borrowing money by getting wooden barrels? How can we take this juice and hold it for longer and sell it for more? Interesting. Juice meaning the yeah. beer. Right. Um, and be a small producer. <laughs> but you got to be capitalized to hold it because we're talking about a year and a half. Right. And so we just kept building and building. I didn't want to borrow money, didn't want to borrow money, didn't want to borrow money. But the beer is, beer is money, right? And so that's a lot. Somebody opens a new pub now in town. You don't have stuff in the tank that long, go, right? It takes a while to go through. We had to really expand because the market is limited. Right. And we went, we had as many as 55 distributors. I think they're down to 40 now. Um, wow. But the world that's become a world market. I mean, we have Chinese. Korean, Japanese customers been going down to South America until all this shipping stuff started happening. We have distributors in Europe and in England expanding into more of Europe. Wow. Uh, 
um, changed some distributors in the United States. Um, and now, limited bottling and a lot of canning. Now, the yeah. company is just, I'm still the major stockholder, although I'm not in the management of the company. Just bought a canner, $300,000 canner, and all the stuff that goes with it. So, honey ginger lime is now being canned and pasteurized. So, what does that do? What does that do to the, well, let's, let's reel back. 2020, you sell most of your shares, right? No, I sold a minority. You sold a minority of shares, so you're still the major. I am the major stockholder, okay. and, and so I'm waiting for them to get financing. And you know, as soon as the COVID came along and sales right. went into the tank, right? We got to go build our cash flow back up. So I, I, I'm fine with that. Okay. So Ramy, Mark, Greg, Brian, a flyboy in parallel. 45, they approach you, you guys get together, you come up with Ramey. a... Ramey. You know Ramey. Ramey. Okay. He's a regular customer. Okay. But you guys do decide, look, we're going to do this thing. You're going to hang on and mentor them, also act as some support as it goes over. And so now you guys have moved towards canning, right? What does that do to the beer? How does that change from the barrel aging that you were doing before? Doesn't seem to have changed the barrel aging. I mean, it's still aged in the barrels. It's just what about bottle can. aging? What about bottle aging? So a lot of people bottle put it in the bottle. Yep. Still goes through that. Still goes through that, and then you transfer it to a can. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so it, it gets bottle conditioned in the container. Oh, in the container. You okay. don't take it out. Okay. It's, it's naturally carbonizes itself in the container. And the aluminum has no effect on the beer. Same too. Okay. Interesting. There's but, a coating on there inside. There's a uh, there's an aesthetic about, and maybe it's me with the romance of something of, of having a bottle age versus having a can age. Well, we have both for you. <laughs> I, I love that. For us oldie guys that are stuck onto the nostalgia. But what what we found is that the eight to ten or twelve ounce can gives more of a sampling opportunity right. than buying a large bottle. Fully committing to a big bottle. So it's a one person drink kind of. Huh, interesting. And it's convenience, right? Because you can get a can and, and store cans. Lighter and, weight for shipping. Yeah, interesting. Um, so then we're also doing Beer Fest. So we didn't even, we skipped over Beer Fest. <laughs> oh, let's go back to the Oregon Brewers. I'm going to rewind this back. So. It's a nice story of how the Oregon Brewers Festival got started. All right, we're back. So uh, there's part one of our Art Lawrence interview. So yeah, pretty crazy uh, interview. A lot of stuff going on in there. Walked uh, through his childhood and baseball t- playing days at Linfield. Yeah. Uh, real estate deals. Real estate. Growing All up sorts on hop of stuff. farms. Craziness. Yeah. So um, all sorts of good stuff there. So uh, big thanks to Art there. So. We have a part two of this that we yes. recorded, um, and so I think in the next episode we'll include part two into this bad boy. Otherwise, this would be about a ninety-minute uh, podcast tonight. Yeah, so. it's kind of like watching The Godfather. Kind of like watching The Godfather, you just without split the horse it up. head. Yeah, you got to split it up into different parts. No horse head. No. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Maybe there's a horse Maybe. head. You just never you just know. Stay tuned and see. Right. There might be. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Yellowstone, right? You just leave people off, like just leave them hanging, and then a year later we come back to it and say, "Hey, here you go, here you go, no, start we'll, up." We'll be back next week with this one. So, all right. So, where did we leave off? So, we talked about peaches and cream. We talked about Heller High Mango. Yeah, yeah. Subtle, subtle mango taste. Um, what happens when you combine the two? 
I think you get a mango peach Jolly Rancher beer. Yeah. I think yeah. the mango they complement each other quite well. They do. They're said. they're very similar flavors, I think. Yeah. It's uh yeah, like I said, interesting stuff on the Hell or High Water because for years art would bring this or they would bring this thing out to the brew fest. <laughs> With a hell or high water melon, yeah, right? Yeah, the watermelon, and I was like, God dang it, I hate beer this beer. Again. And here we have Hell or High Water Mango, so very timely because again, Every OBF for like the last ten years had hell or high water or something at it. So. Well, and the funny thing is, is you 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 say that, and then when I'm drinking this hell or high water mango, it automatically converts to watermelon. <laughs> it might be the same thing. They're just doing the mind screw with you. Might be. They're like, yeah, this is mango, but it's actually. Watermelon tastes like watermelon. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Well, again, popular with the kids. I get why they bring it to Brewfest. Yeah, why they very do this, so The yeah. kids love it. It's also four percent. So yeah, down on the scale. And what I think is so funny about this is you and I be being very high gravity beer drinker yeah. lovers. Yep. Um, most normal beers out there in their four to five range, and we're saying. It's only got this percentage, right? <laughs> We're accustomed to like 12% and 10% and the occasional 15 or 16. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we definitely gravitate towards the darks, and I guess in the summertime we'll go light. But, uh, well, what do you got going beer wise? So you, you tried brewing here about a week oh, ago. God. I did. Um, I, I took my, my white stout recipe. Uh, and flipped it on its head because I wanted to see what the taste of the um, the complementary grains would be like just on their own. So I completely took the base grain out uh, and just went with the the accent grains or your your darker roasted grains. But the beauty of it is with the the grains that I'm using through Mechagrade, they're Opal 44. You can actually use 100% of that in your grain bill and not have any issues, uh, supposedly. Hmm. Mine was a little older, so maybe that's where I had some issues, but I'm not 100% sure. But I used used probably 90% that and then 10% of their Opal 22 and went with that. I'm trying to... I was trying to to make that a, a base grain or a base recipe for a imperial stout that I I want to do later on, but I wanted to see what it tasted like with this version, and then put some coffee into it. Well, you already heard on the last episode how that brew day went. It yeah, it just didn't go well. It, uh, it the continues, ferment- huh? Yeah, the fermentation process made it down to one point zero two nine. And it just stopped cold. I was like, well, what the fuck? Why? Hmm. Why is it sticking here? Tried, looked it up, tried everything I could, brought the temperature up past 68. I was brewing it, or I was fermenting at 68, so I don't know why there was a, an issue there. And nothing. Couldn't get anything. So the other day, I repitched yeast. Put some uh, priming sugar in with it, five tablespoons of, of priming sugar, and it bubbled for a little bit, and then it stuck again. Guess what the number is? 
1.029. It just doesn't want to budge off that 1.029. Huh. I wonder if you check the refractometer and just see what the residual sugar left in it is because... That's what I'm going to have to do because I I think it... I, I don't know. I think it might just be one of those beers that when I did the mash, the mash was a little high temperature-wise. It was like, uh, I think, 156. Right. So it might have made unfermentable sugars. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I've it's never had... I can think of. Interesting. Well, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll check the sugar on it and see what's going on, or check the pH and see yeah, what and, the pH is and, doing. And you brought that up when we were out having beers this afternoon, and I think that may be the issue. I'm, I think it may be a pH issue where the pH just stumped it, and the yeast couldn't survive it, and it was done. Huh. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but yeah, everybody gets it. I mean, I had my stuck fermentations going on right now. Yeah, you got one going with your uh, my mash, your yeah. mash. So yeah, and so it's um, or the sugar or the sugar wash. But anyways, they uh, had the fermenter, stainless steel fermenter, set up from the summer <laughs> when I was lagering. Right, and the for the Oktoberfest yeah, beer, and the thermostat was still set to those temperatures. I didn't really think about resetting it right um and so it was in cooling mode the whole time and so um i didn't trust the tilt trust the tilt is the lesson here yes it is i trusted the Inkbird temperature probe and uh and it was reading at 70 but it was uncalibrated it turned out the Inkbird was right <laughs> and the the or wash your, was your, sitting at 55 your mash degrees. was right your mat or your uh tilt tilt was right. yeah 55 yeah. degrees it was sitting at so i had to recalibrate the Inkbird and and, uh, and what then, a pain in the butt. Nice thing is the yeast kick as soon as you heated it up, the yeast kicked right back in, so. which is nice. Yeah, so it should be done in a couple of days, and then I'll have my sugar wash done. So, all right, man. Well, you know what time it is? Uh, Kickstart my heart. Kickstart my heart time. Yes, indeed. So, uh, what do we got? Anything going on in the world of Kickstarter? What do we think? Last couple of weeks, we've been struck it's out. It's been pretty dead the last couple of weeks. It has. It has. Well, so last last time, we uh, went out to Timber Jim slash Joey. Yes. Yeah, and they were doing a thing. And um, I saw they raised a huge amount of money for Timber Jim and his okay. family. So. Good to see. Um, they kept moving it up, and again, somewhere in the figure, right around a hundred thousand dollars they raised for Timber Jim and his family. So that's good. Um, but then news hit that Dan Zeusman, the uh, ticket rep that many of us had at the Portland Timbers, yeah, um, was let go from the Timbers January first. Whoa! And he'd been on uh, medical leave all of last year for stage four cancer. Oh my god! And um, and was being treated through cancer, and then had a pretty severe stroke in the middle of After cancer that. treatment. Yeah. Wow. So, so the Timbers um, can't carry somebody forever, right? So true, true. But Dan was kind of left without health insurance and everything else there, and. Um, so his sister, who's I believe caring for him or helping care for him, yeah, uh, put out a request and is asking for one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars to help Dan out. So, if uh, you are a Timbers fan and you know of Dan or you don't know of Dan and you just want to support uh, a good cause, Dan Zusman was uh, 
uh, awesome, awesome ticket rep. I mean, he would call and know you by name and remember things, and and that story is repeated uh, thousands and thousands of times by people um, that remember Dan and miss Dan as their season ticket guy. Yeah. So, um, so again, looking for a bunch of money for Dan and his family. Um, and so if you if you have a little extra money that you can throw your way that way, uh, go to GoFundMe, type in Timbers Dan Zeusman and uh, donate. So pretty pretty sad story. So it is. Um, all right. So then we get over to Kickstarter off of GoFundMe and Fort Collins area, um, specifically in the Denver area. They uh, are looking to do something called MythMaker Brewing. So interesting, yeah. So MythMaker Brewing. This is a little startup brewery for. Uh, for the Denver Fort Collins area, have you been to Fort Collins? I have many times when I was in college. Yeah, that's a tough beer scene to try and be cracking into. That's right what now. I thought. I was like, man, that is really uh, tough beer scene to be trying to crack into. Yeah, to me, that's uh, that's like coming downtown to Bend or Portland and trying to. Hey, I got an idea. I'm going to start a brewery. Ah, uh, yeah. I hope your beer's phenomenal because you're up against some heavyweights in the Fort Collins area. So, uh. Two Fort Collins craft beer industry veterans are hoping to open Mythmaker Brewing in West Fort Collins. And and so these two people, um, I don't necessarily what makes them legends, but uh, they are looking at opening a brewery. And so they're looking for 15000 bucks. That's not much. It's 29 days left in this thing. Uh, they've got 14 backers that have uh, pledged $1,600 so far. Uh-huh. So they're still a ways off on this yeah. thing. But... Um, They've got $20 pledges, $10 t- pledges. They've got uh, $1,500 or more pledges where you get to design a brew and have a private party. Ooh. So all sorts of stuff there. But if uh, you're interested in uh, funding a Fort Collins Brewing uh, brewery, Mythmaker Brewing um, is one to look up at. So again, well, well, now the interesting thing that you brought up is is it's two veterans of the scene. Yeah. And, and usually when you throw two veterans in any kind of beer scene into the mix of starting their own breweries from somewhere else, they're usually pretty good. Yeah, so it looked like these two um, have experience. Again, I didn't really look up to see where they had come from. But again, they know what they're doing, so um, and looking for a little help. So yeah, um, and then uh, there is a uh, fine little piece that was funded as of November 9th, twenty twenty one. This thing okay. got funded. Ultimately, 16,735 backers pledged five hundred ninety five thousand dollars. Let me guess, it has to do with nudity. Nope. Okay. This is a. <laughs> Draft top and drink topless. So it's a drink from a can, like it's a glass of beer, seltzer, mixed drinks, open up a can of. So essentially this thing is a cutter that cuts the top off of your beer can and allows you to drink out of it like a glass. Wow, I hope it rounds that edge off because that can be sharp and cut your lips up. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it like folds it down and all that stuff, but they had a ton, a ton of publicity on this thing. I mean... Cheddar and Playboy magazine and CNET and Field and Stream. They got some big hitters. Um, they got some big hitters to kind of back them and do some publicity. They show this thing and basically um, it basically scores. You crack the top of the can and then it scores the thing. 
Um, but it doesn't actually cut the can lid off. It basically cuts the inner part of the lid off. And you so just that push the that down. Part, yeah. So. Oh, that's how they keep that lip from cutting your cutting your face up then. Well, that's what we have for this version of Kickstarter My Heart. Kickstarter. All right. There you go, man. Now you're in the know. If you want to like, fund something or fund something cool, there. It's everywhere. You got it dialed, dude. So Dialed in. Uh-oh. Did you hear about that tsunami yesterday? Uh, yeah, and I I saw something online and was going to click on it, and it was like, no, nah, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> so a huge Tongan volcano, like... Erupted. Erupted, dropped a bunch of crap inside the ocean, and then, like, from Tonga, which is, like, New Zealand area... Yeah. ...to here, a wave just traveled across, hits Hawaii, and then hits the West Coast. So it ended up being, like, a foot high. Oh, that's not too bad. But still. But now just think what Tonga got hit with. They did. They, and they actually have the video on it, which yeah. is pretty amazing. They so. got smashed. That means that must mean it's uh, time for In the News. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. <laughs> All right, beer news. So, In the News. Uh, that's That Jolly Roger beer, that fourth beer is pretty hardcore. That's beer. bitch slapping me right and left here. I don't like it. All right, so uh, the Adult Non-Alcoholic Beer Association, also known as ANBA. Really? Yeah. It's gotten that big, they have their own association now. They're predicting $30 billion in sales by 2025. You know who's already on board for this? Oh, a ton. Deschutes is doing beer, yeah. So, D- Deschutes took one of their, like, mythical... Amazing beers that has been around forever and turned it into a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, well, the yeah. ANBA, I don't know, I didn't look to see membership, but... Uh, it's crazy. They have an official membership group, and this is the next thing. They think, uh, again, this is the way people are going to go. I'm not sure I would drink beer if it was... Well, we did we did the series right after you had your heart attack. Yeah. Where we did non-alcoholic beers. Yep. Right? And there weren't a ton out there. There point. weren't a ton then. But, uh, but it's going crazy. There's starting to be a ton, ton and ton, ton more. Yeah. Um, I've done some research on it, and there's actually companies out there now that uh, there's one that they've got that they, they call it the Alkinator. Oh. That literally strips the alcohol out of the beer, but leaves all the taste, all the mouthfeel, everything in the beer. You know what that is? That's distilling. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there you go. You just... Reverse distilling but well you just make your beer right distill off out. the alcohol and then give everybody the sludge and give everybody that crap that's left over <laughs> that's non-alcoholic beer yeah they just carb that at that point right <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's the way to do it um zwickle is back on so after two years of being gone uh zwickle is coming back for 2022 so wow february 19th Portland is going to have its Zwickle, and February 26th, they're going to do the rest of Oregon Zwickle. Really? So, uh, and then that same weekend is the Hills Brew Fest of the 26th. No. So, that one I'm interested in. I think I may go do Zwickle. I may, the you Portland know, Zwickle 219 would be fun. Zwickle might be tough, though, just because we're still seeing spikes, are we not? Yeah, I, I, bet, it's, I bet it's fine. I'll buy 219. I mean, yeah, England, maybe. I mean, England and Europe, the UK, as they call it. Uh, is already fallen off. So, okay. Yeah, well, that's good news. Correct, that's so. good news. 
Um, this one's yours, dude. Tell us about the shoots. Well, the shoots has uh, decided that they're going to do some re- newer releases. Um, one of them, actually, the all three sound like they're they're going to be pretty good as long as they pull them off the way that they make them sound. Uh, one is the um, Obsidian. They're doing, I believe. Is that the the one that they're doing with coconut? The coconut obsidian? Obsidian is peanut butter. Oh, no, it's the peanut butter obsidian. That's what it was. And they're doing a coconut abyss. Right. Uh, both of those are slated to come out in, I believe, March. Yep. And then later in the fall, they are going to do a German forest. What is it? German chocolate Black forest, forest cake. Black forest cake. That's yeah. what it was. Uh, Abyss as well. So those will be interesting releases when they come out. So remember, they talked about uh, doing Abyss as a production beer now where it comes out year-round. And so this is kind of that foyer into it where maybe some variations on it. So interesting stuff. Um, The Bunk Beer Hall, so Bunk Sandwiches, uh, just opened in Bridgeport. So this is a 20-tap tap house. They have slushies and all sorts of stuff. But if you're a fan of Bunk Sandwiches, which... uh, a lot of those young kids... Uh, I don't think I've ever had one. ...in the Portland area love their bunk sandwiches. Uh, you got a beer hall over at Bridgeport, so... And then uh, Budweiser, our friends over at Bud. <laughs> Big Bud. Yep, they're doing a golden can, so they're putting one golden can in a, occasional six or 12 packs or cases, and uh, they're giving out one million bucks as a grand prize uh, really? drawing, so... If you uh, are looking or you buy Budweiser and you find a golden can, don't get rid of it. Don't keep it. Could be worth a million it. bucks. Could be worth a yeah. lot. Um, I wonder if it's like Wonka Land where you get to go in and go on a tour. and <laughs> Inherit it. Yeah, the uh, Clydesdales are running around That'd like Oompa Loompas. And... That'd be freaking amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be great. So, uh, psychedelic beer served at intimate dinner parties Ooh. helped the ancient empires in the Andes rule for centuries. Probably. There's a study that just came out, and they uh, pulled these Vilca seeds out of the ground, and they were actually in what they believe were uh, beer fermentation vessels. Okay. And these uh, seeds, these Vilca seeds, are hallucinogenic, and they were added to their mole beers, so that's that chewed corn yeah. beer. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and they believed they got their enemies and people that visited them to hallucinate, and then just that's how they maintain everything. power. Yeah, so. Well, that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah. So interesting stuff. That's a uh, beer news uh, right there about some well, scientific beer news. You. What do you got? You know who Ball is, right? Ball, yeah. Yeah. The bottles and jars, yeah. And well, cans. no, 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 and cans. Yeah. Cans is the big one. Yeah. So they're introducing an aluminum cup. Oh. For that's recycling that you can order if you're a big brewery or whatever tap house, whatever else. Then you can just serve your beer in those aluminum in those cups. cups, huh? Recycle them, boom, done. When you said cup, I was picturing athletics. Yeah, I know you were. (laughs) Aluminum cups, huh? Well, that's ball. They've got to diversify, man. Of course they do. They're not rich enough. After they just shortchanged all the little smart guys on, well, they actually pulled back on that. Of not having to order the the huge, massive amounts of cans now. Wow. Well, you know, at least uh, somebody's making money because it's not us. It's not us yet. All right. Well, there's beer news. Hmm. Are you feel smarter now? No. 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 How's that Jolly Roger beer? Yeah, I gotta tell you. 
I'm really interested to find out what the ingredients are in this Jolly Rogers. So this is the... There's something in that uh, holiday beer that just grabs me wrong. It's the Jolly Roger Christmas Ale. It's 9.5%, so it's our strongest beer of the night. I explained something. Um, It's made by Maritime Pacific Brewing Company. No idea where they're at. Me neither. Um, It's one pint of beer. It's kind (laughs) of an ambery color as it came out. And there's nothing on this. <laughs> nothing on that can. Nothing on the can. That you can read without reading glasses and no. a magnifying glass, right? No, it's got the standard pregnancy. This will make you make your liver fall out. But it out. doesn't have anything with the ingredients? Nope. All those dirty bastards. Nope. Nope. You know, I'd swear they've either got uh, grains of paradise or coriander in there that leaves just a wicked aftertaste on the back end. This is brewed and canned in Seattle. Explains a lot. Yeah, it does. Seattle's uh, <laughs> retribution towards Portland That's for right. something. I just I'm don't sending know what. my coriander beer down to you, <laughs> bastards. <laughs> yeah, it's a, so it's an ambery color beer. It's a Christmas ale, but yeah, there's definitely some spice. Going I mean, on. it's got some great lacing to it in the glass. Yeah. Great bubbles, great color. I mean, there's a lot of good things about the beer. It's just not for me. Yeah, it's not my, on my bailiwick. So, um, all right. Well, four beers tonight. Again, Fearless Peaches and Cream, Twenty uh, First Amendments Heller High Mango, Sasquatch's Wake Up Wake Up Coffee Lager, uh, Vienna Style Lager, um, which I got to tell you is my favorite of the night. So, of course it is because yeah. you don't want to wake up or you don't want to sleep. You <laughs> just want to stay awake all night. No sleep till Brooklyn, baby. <laughs> there you go. And then uh, we got Jolly Rogers by Maritime Pacific uh, Christmas Ale, which. Mm. It's uh, not my favorite. So mm. so I would rank these uh, Sasquatch, Fearless, 21st, Jolly Roger. All right. Where, do you, where are you at? That's probably where I'm at as well. Yeah. Uh, actually, no. You like peaches no, no, and cream. No. I like the peaches and cream better than I like the coffee because I want to go to bed tonight. Yeah. Um, I would probably rank the, the beer... Uh, the coffee beer second, yeah. uh, and then the the Heller High Mango third, and then yeah. Jolly Rogers fourth <laughs> or last. So, all right. Well, huge thanks to Art Lawrence. Uh, you guys got uh, part one of the series on the Legacy series. We will have part two next week for you, um, and of course, some good stuff coming from that. So, um, sign up for the Hills Brew Fest. Uh, that is coming up here soon, so uh, certainly pay attention to that. Is it still called the Hills Brew Fest? I forget. I think it is, but I'm not sure because I haven't gone on to see what ticket prices are. Yeah, so uh, there's a beer festival going on, in, and, and we've been we've been plugging this thing for a little while, but the 25th to the 27th oh, of is. February. Over the hills to Hillsboro. Yeah, and it's the Hills Brew Fest, uh, and again, out in Hillsboro. So, but this has been put on, being put on by Art and Teddy, yeah, who put on the Oregon Brew Fest. February 25th to the 27th. Yep, ticket info is there. Find the fest is there. Go to hillsbrewfest.com. Um, and again, next week uh, we'll have more from Art, and I think you'll probably hear a little bit more about this uh, brew fest. But yes, cool. Well, buddy, let's get out of here. Let's finish this uh, Jolly Roger beer. Um, <laughs> maybe dump it down the drain. <laughs> Till then, Tim wow. Beers. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Portland Tim Beers Podcast. Be sure to visit the Portland Tim Beers Podcast on ACAST.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. If you love the Tim Beers Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, Tim Beers. Tim Beers.